0: Good morning, everyone. I want to start with a question today, and here's the question. Have you ever been selected or chosen for something that down deep in your heart you thought you didn't deserve? Have you ever been selected or chosen for something that Down deep inside, you weren't sure that you really deserved. Uh, I'm going way back to when I was 11 years old. Spokane, Washington. Springtime. Baseball. Little League. And I tried out for a team that was made up of predominantly 12 and 13-year-olds. In fact, they had played for the city championship the year before by law they were bound to bring in two 11-year-olds i was 11 i don't know how in the world i got selected for that baseball team i was clearly the worst of the best but there i was on that team and at first i thought oh my goodness how do i these 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 13-year-old boys are big and they threw curveballs i never hit a ball that whole year i was terrible But they received me as a part of their team. I felt kind of adopted. At least until the last game when we were playing for the city championship and the coach made a stupid decision to send me up as a pinch hitter in the bottom of the last inning and I struck out for the second to the last out for the team that lost the city championship. (laughs) But it's not like I remember much about that. (laughs) But I felt selected for something I didn't deserve. Well, today... We're going to tell a little story from David's life that's all about this, where David, as high king, makes a choice, selects somebody for something that they really didn't feel they deserved at all. So get ready for it. Now, uh, I'm really happy we're we're meeting David where we're at today, because if, how many of you have been with us in the last three weeks? Well, thanks for coming back, because I know we didn't have any good news in, in the preaching the last three weeks. Uh, but, But look at it this way, the church doesn't hold back from talking about brokenness in life any more than it talks about the hope that we have in life. So we were straight on about what happens to David in his late 40s and 50s when he makes stupid decisions that lead to sin, that lead to murder, that spread throughout his whole family systems and literally almost bring the nation into civil war again. It was just horrendous. That's what we hit on the last three weeks. But today, I've been given permission by Pastor Rob to go back just before David's collapse and do one more sermon when David was at his best, when David was at his best. Now you say, well, why would you want to do that? Well, the truth is David exemplifies all of us. I got a good side and I got a bad side. You got a good side, you got a bad side. The more power you have, the more you can do good and the more power you have, the more you can do bad. And so, it's like the the wonderful French physicist Blaise Pascal once said. And we've got this for the, you on the screen. I am man, therefore I am noble. I am man, I am human. Therefore, I'm a mess. I am wretched. We are both at the same time, and we certainly have seen that in David. But today, the last look at the unsullied nobility when David lived his God-saved and God-centered life and what good he could do. So, open your Bibles, please. Let's go down to Second uh, Samuel chapter 9. The last look at the unsullied David. He's about 40 years old at this time. So we're getting to this point where he's now consolidated the kingdom. And he's reigning in Jerusalem. And he's bringing peace at all sides. It's on page 303 if those of you want to use the Bibles we provide for you in the church. Now just before we go into 9, go back with me to chapter 8 verse 15. Because this kind of sets the stage, sets the scene. David reigned over all Israel doing what was just and right for all his people. Okay? So David at his best, at the height of his power, doing what is just and right for all the people. Chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone? Take a look at the passage we're going to put on the screen for you. You remember Jonathan? David's best friend, they were soul friends. Remember Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul, who by all rights should have become the king? And yet Jonathan realizes David is anointed to take the kingship. But before Jonathan is killed in battle, he and David meet, and this is what he says. David, show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live so that I may not be killed and don't ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Kind of a funny thing for a best friend to ask of the other. I mean, if I called my best friend Dennis in California this afternoon, uh, I wouldn't say, Dave, uh, Dennis, don't kill me. There have been times in my life he's wanted to. All right. But never literally. But Dave, Jonathan's literally pleading for his life. Why? Because in ancient times, when one royal line comes to its end and another family takes over, you almost always destroyed all of the line of the former. And so you hear Jonathan crying out because of his love for David and David's for please, don't kill me. Please, don't kill my family. All right. Now, catapult ahead. We're going ahead now, 15 years to David in this verse, verse 1. Is there anyone whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Verses 2 and 3. Now, there was a servant of Saul's house, named named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service, he replied. Verse 3. The king said, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now, I slow it down there because Ziba undoubtedly thought he was being brought forth to reveal the names of any of Saul's line that still lived and they would be killed. But that's not David. David operates by another set of principles here. By love. So David starts on a search and rescue mission for anyone from Saul's family, especially if they were related to his precious, precious friend, Jonathan. Search and rescue. That takes us to verses four through six. Zeba answered the king There is still a son of Jonathan, he's lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar is probably 50 miles or so north of Jerusalem, on the other side of the Jordan River, buttressed up against the Arabian desert. So where is this son? He's hiding out for his life near the desert. And Ziba reveals where he is. So King David, verse 5, had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. And when, and here's his name everybody, get ready, this is on the test. Here we go. Mep-hibosheth. Okay, let's do it together. Ready? One, two, three. Mep-hibosheth. Balcony? Mep-hibosheth. Right, and I'll see if I can say it right through the rest of the sermon. We'll see. Incidentally, Mephibosheth, what a strange name. You want to know what it means? We think this is what it means. Lots of different possibilities. But the one that I most preferred in understanding the story to the extent that I do is that it means he who dispels shame. And I wonder if Jonathan didn't name his only son the dispeller of shame because Jonathan toward the end of his life felt such shame for what his father was doing to the kingdom. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Mephibosheth. So, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, verse 6, comes before David, and he bows down to pay him honor, and David said, Mephibosheth. Now, I stopped there to make a point. When Ziba referred to this boy, what did he name him? he who is lame in both feet. Why would he do that? Maybe before David, Ziba was trying to preserve this young man's life and he said, don't worry, he's of no danger to you. He can't even walk. He's lame in both feet. Or maybe, and in knowing Ziba, I'll be talking about him again next week, another 10, 15 years down the road. Maybe he was saying, hey, he's really of no danger consequence we don't know we don't know but here's what I do know when David met him he didn't label him as lame in both feet David called him by his name the Bible says that God so loves us that he wants to call us all by name not by what's broken inside us not by what's broken inside us incidentally he will provide well I'll tell you let's let's keep going pretty good stuff here all right Um, so he he invites him into his table now look if you will at verse 1 verse 3 and verse 7, because that word is there again. It's the word that Jonathan used when he appealed to David. And now it's the word that David uses as he looked for Mephibosheth. He says, kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 1, God's kindness that I might show. Verse 3. And even when he's talking to uh, Mephibosheth, he says, I want to show you kindness. Okay. As over against meanness. But actually, the word kindness it just doesn't fit. It's, it's one of those English terms we've tried to find to fit around the Hebrew term. And, and, and the best we can do with it is at, load it up with some adjectives, is what we've got to do. Because kindness is too tepid. It's too pale. It's a nice word. But this word means much more. In the ancient Hebrew, it's called hesed. H E S E D, we spell it, has said. And it's often defined as loving kindness. Or for us, committed love. Costly love. Sometimes we use the term covenant love. And, and a covenant is an unbreakable agreement love. Contract love. Or, like I have for you on the screen, the three terms I most like to define hesed, or kindness, are loyal love, costly love, steel, strong love that won't stop. Now, those of you who are students of the Bible in the New Testament a lot, you're now thinking of the term agape. Agape. Which is the committed, costly, steel, strong love. Hesed is that, but it's got all sorts of feeling attached to it. So when he says this to Mephibosheth, he is saying, I'm in all the way with you. Okay? All right. Now, it kind of reminds me of the, the whole marriage thing, remember? Uh, richer or poorer, sickness or health, until death parts us Whew. that's a lot more than just emotional tickle love isn't it it's all the way love um, and so now's for me to add to what Kelly said to us earlier I hope if you haven't signed up you'll consider the marriage conference I even thought of a song for it okay love and laughter love and laughter save a marriage from premature disaster <laughs> We're bringing, um, both of our daughters are coming. Thank you very much. (laughs) That hit me, between service one and two. All right. Um, We're bringing our our daughter and son-in-law. They just got married in August. And then our other daughter's coming with her man friend. And, you know, we like him a lot too. So uh, uh, I forget my son-in-law's name. I like him. I just don't know his name. All right, good. All right, enough of that. Can I, can I just before I move into the, the next aspect of this story, l- let me pause on that notion of, um, of Mephibosheth being lame in both legs because it's a reminder of disabilities. And um, I am so glad to be a part of a faith system that believes that you may have physical or even mental disabilities but that you are precious and, in fact, you are of special ability. While while the Western world in science seeks ways to purify the gene pool, Christians look for special need babies to adopt all over the world. I like that. God does not evaluate by... Anything that are limitations. He loves us all. So thank you, church. I, I, could, I know many people in our church that have adopted children with special needs or special abilities. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, let's get back to David and Mephibosheth. Here's, verse 7 kind of funny. Mephibosheth, David says, end of 6. At your service, he replies, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely Show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And look what he promises him. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. He is going to be given all of the lands that the former king held. This is extravagance beyond belief. They're rightly now David's. But David says, no, all of that land, all of that wealth, all of that position is for you. And secondly, I am going to provide you with Ziba. Look at verse 9. Your master's grandson, everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Ziba, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land. He had like 10 sons and 15 servants. So uh, uh, he's, he's, David's saying, Ziba, the way you serve the former king is now the way that you serve Mephibosheth until the end of time. You will provide for his grandson. He will be your master. But Mephibosheth, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. I want you to be next to me. I want you to eat at my own table. There's even a play on words there. The first time he says he'll eat at my table, it's in verse 7. It says he he will always eat. It's in the future tense. Then if you look at the second time he mentions it, it's at the end of the passage, verse 13. He always ate. Completed action. In other words, the promise David made, he made for the rest of Mephibosheth's life. You will be with me at my table. Now, what is this? This is extravagant love. It's not only costly love, loyal love. It's extravagance that he pours out on Mephibosheth, But one more aspect of it. Look with me at verse 11. Ziba says, Your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. And look, look at the rest of that verse. Like one of the king's sons. It's not just being a guest at the table. David is saying, my blood, your blood. My royalty, your royalty. You're like one of my own. I told you this is David at his best. This is adoption. I'm your dad now. I'm your father. And there will come a time when Mephibosheth's life will be in jeopardy and David will say, not that young man. At all costs, his life is spared. He is like one of my own sons. Well, isn't that powerful? That's what God does. That's what steel strong love does. That's what David does for Mephibosheth. And I think, I think, that the reason this story has been kept in such magnificence is because of what it points to. But you got to see one more thing in this story before I move out of it. Look back again at verse 8. This is right after David's told him what he's going to do for him. And then it says, Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, What is your servant? That you should even notice a dead dog like me? What is your servant that you should even notice a dead dog like me? Another translation is stray dog. It could be. Either way, it's a derogatory term. It's a term he's pointing into himself, and it suggests that this young man, for whatever reason, I don't know that it's his physical disability that causes this. I think it may be more that he inherited the shame of Saul's family that had so turned away from God, and he'd fled his whole life. And now he's about 20 years old, and his view of him was... I'm about the last human on earth that has the right to be called a king's son. Okay? Now, that bridge is nicely for us because now we want to move to the greater king. Not the fine king David who chooses one to elevate like this. We want to go 40 generations ahead to David's bloodline that births Jesus Christ. Because what is Jesus going to do with this issue of extravagant love and adoption? He's going to offer it to the whole world. And so he does. We think of Jesus david's greater son we think of ourselves and i'm going to show you in the scriptures in just a minute the extravagant Love of God that is given for each one of us that are here. Those that will be listening to this sermon later in the week. Throughout all the churches of the world that are accurately presenting the word of God. They're saying this is the love of the royal God for every human on this planet. Okay. That's where this whole thing is going. And you. You have every right to think, like Mephibosheth, I don't deserve that. Allow me to take that term lameness and move it from Mephibosheth, and let me move it into the vernacular, because in our culture, we'll often talk about something being totally lame. (laughs) And I want to suggest that the Bible's quite clear and so is my own conscience on this fact that when it comes to who Lon is on the inside, I'm totally lame. Uh, There's more in me that's wrong than is right. Oh, there are those brief glimpses of nobility that Pascal talked about. But like the the great New Testament theologian J.R. Packer says, at no point in my life am I as bad as I could be, but at no point in my life is I, am I as good as I ought to be. I knew when I was a little kid that I was in deep water. I cheated and stole baseball cards. I shot the state bird out of the tree with my BB gun. I ran head on into my little brother trying to hurt him and he had to go to the doctor. I mean, I knew early on there was stuff that wasn't right inside this thing called me. Totally lame. And we are. Bible says there's no one who is righteous, not even one. So before I tell you about how great God's love is, I just want to get the cards right on the table here and talk about us. Riddled with badness more wrong than good and like Mephibosheth why would you want me at your table (laughs) but look at this Colossians chapter 1 and 21 let's uh, put it up on the screen once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior look at that closely everyone Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies, what? In your own minds. I mean, I knew in my own mind I wasn't pleasing God. In your own minds, you knew you were enemies from what God was and what God wanted. And it's because of our life. And now look at verse 22. But now, and I capitalize that because I really want us to get this. He has reconciled you. Reconciled. The word means reconnected you. He has reconnected you to himself by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from any accusation. My goodness! How could that happen? That when God looks at us, he chooses to see us as holy not totally lame, without blemish, and impossible to accuse. You say, that's just fantasy. (laughs) No, it's not. Because the verse told us how and why he sees us that way. And let's look at the one phrase again in the 22nd verse. By Christ's physical body through death here it comes the great king david's greater son the lord of lords the creator of heaven and earth comes to earth he who is perfect and holy in all ways and at a point in time this great one you talk about kindness as costly love takes upon himself all of my sins all of your sins, all of the world's sins, and it kills him because sin always results in death. By the death of the perfect royal God, God can now look at us as holy without blemish, not worthy of any accusation. Talk about extravagant love. Talk about excessive, overwhelming. We often use the word grace. That's what he has done for us. It goes even farther. Just as David invited Mephibosheth to be wealthy again and even eat at his own table, he then says, and you'll become like one of my own sons. God's love for us is that great. Now, I recognize I'm speaking to two audiences here today. The majority of us know this. We know about extravagant, costly love. We know about adoption. But we get, uh, as Paul Tripp says, we get spiritual amnesia, okay? So this is important to remind us of. But secondly, there are some of you here, there are at least six people in the first hour that knew that they had not entered into this adoption yet. They had not come into personal relationship with Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness for all their sins and be adopted into his family. And I want you to know that the, at the end of the message today, I have actually written a prayer for any of you here that are saying I do want to be adopted into God's family I do want to be seen as holy without blemish in his sight okay promise that that is coming but for a couple more minutes deal with me on this wonderful issue called adoption there's a passage in the Bible we're gonna look at in just one second but I talked this week with one of our staff who is adopted and she was adopted at age two. And she doesn't have any memory of her um, life apart from her adoptive mother and father. And I said, is that hard for you? She goes, oh, no. <laughs> I said, it isn't? Because I only know bloodline parents myself. And she says, oh no. She says, I can't imagine ever feeling more loved than I am. M by her because she's still alive and by him he has now passed because they didn't have to take me. <laughs> they wanted me and I wasn't even part of their own flesh and blood and they wanted me. Now I'm, I'm exacerbating her words but she was just kind of surprised that I would even have any notion that she didn't feel totally loved. And so knowing that many of you have adopted, are adopted, or have adopted. It's an enormous thing that can be so meaningful. I know it's hard for some, but God will help you through that to understand the fact that you were adopted, if you were, by deeply loving people, that you can't imagine what it could ever be to not be totally loved. The Bible talks about this in the spiritual sense. Look with me now in Romans chapter 8.15. If you've received Jesus Christ into your life, the spirit you received has brought about, there it is, your adoption to sonship. Later, you're called children of God. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we are heirs, Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, just let me camp on it for a second. First, that term, Abba, Father. When you are adopted into sonship, daughtership with Jesus Christ, we cry out from our inner self because God's now in us. We cry, Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic term that could be defined as Papa or Dad. My dad is my father, but he's also my dad. He loves me. He's in heaven now. I'll be with him again. He's my father, and he's my dad. You're invited in that sort of familial relationship with God. Secondly, it says we become his children. It's just like David, one of my own sons. And we are, if we are children, it's even more than that. We're heirs. We're heirs of God. God. And co heirs with Christ of everything. See, we're not totally lame. We're something that's beyond human, suprahuman. When Jesus Christ pours his spirit into our lives and adopts us into his own family. Hey, and not only this, he doesn't just do this because I'm God, I should. He does it because he wants to. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. In love, remember we talked about what kindness is? Costly, loyal, feeling-based, committed love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, until this week, I'm not sure I ever camped out on the pleasure part. I always camped out, he did this because that was his will. Okay? But pleasure. He likes us. He really likes us. Tonight's the Academy Awards. And in 1985, Sally Fields, some of you are nodding, you know this story, won her second Academy Award. And I went back and looked at YouTube, and she gets up to receive her Oscar, and she looks out with tears in her eyes, and she goes, I can't deny it. You like me right now you like me see the academy had elected her to this great honor and i want to look at all of you god didn't die for you just because he had to because he's god he loves you he likes you he is abba isn't that great so why do we have spiritual amnesia Why do we forget? Why, instead of seeing myself as a child of God, do I often see myself as um, a dead dog? Or totally lame? Well, for some of us, our family of origin didn't help us to have the right view of ourselves. For some of us, childhood experiences started making us think we weren't any good, we weren't smart enough. We weren't strong enough. We were too small or we were too big. And all that stuff wears in on you. But most of all, I want to tell you this, Christians. There is a being by the name of the devil. And the devil means accuser. And all day long, he's lying to you about what you are not. All day long. I fight it all the time. When really... We are God's children. We are heirs of God and co heirs of Christ. We are going to dwell with Him forever. And we are holy and blameless and without accusation in His sight. We need to tell ourselves that every day. Now, I'm getting ready to pray. For those of you here that didn't even know this, (laughs) that are saying, how do I get into this adoption in God? You do it, first of all, if you have a sense that even today he is drawing you toward himself. Are you feeling the love of God? Are you hoping for the love and the acceptance of God? if there's anything happening inside you right now it's probably a sign that he's drawing you to himself so I have written this prayer that you can offer to him let me read it to you and then after I read it I'll pray it and I'll pray it so that you can pray it as well and this is you talking to God and asking to be his child Now. If you pray it with me, I'll ask this too. I'll have everybody close their eyes uh, during the prayer. But if you prayed it with me, then I will ask you to do this all in the balcony, all around the room. And that is to give me the privilege of having you raise your hand so that I can pronounce the blessing of God on you at this strategic moment in your life, okay? So that's coming. Well, here it is. Here's the words of the prayer. Lord, I come broken and needy. Please forgive my sins which are more and deeper than I can fathom. Thank you for loving me enough to die for me. Please, now, adopt me into your family forever. May we all bow now for prayer. And if that prayer expresses the desire of your heart and you want to be adopted, pray it with me. Christians, you can just pray whatever God leads you to, thanking Him for your adoption but for those of you who have not entered yet, here we go. Lord, I come broken and needy. Pray it out loud or silently to yourself. Please forgive my sins which are more and deeper than I can fathom. Thank you for loving me enough to die for me. Please, now, now, Adopt me into your family forever.